The Keep Birth Wild podcast acknowledges the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners and custodians of the land, sky and waters on which this project is produced, and we pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. We extend this respect to all First Nations people on whose country we live, birth and raise children. We acknowledge the ongoing leadership, resilience and commitment of First Nations people who continue to fight for their right to safe and culturally appropriate experiences of pregnancy, birth and postpartum, and we commit to continuing to explore our own role in that journey. Lastly, we honour and celebrate the ancient birthing knowledge and practices that have existed on this country for thousands of years. May this wisdom continue to nurture life for many generations to come. Welcome to the Keep Birth Wild podcast. My name is Indy and through this series I'll be speaking to women who plan to birth their babies at home. Join me to hear home birth mothers sharing their stories of pregnancy, birth and postpartum. Hi Joelle. Hi Indy. <laughs> Thanks for coming today. So today we've decided to do things a little bit differently and Joelle, who's on a previous episode, has come in as a guest to interview me about um, Alice's birth, so I'll be sharing my story today. Yeah, Um, I'm honoured to um, be the interviewer. (laughs) Thank you. The tables have turned. (laughs) Far away. Cool. So, Indy, um, I'd love to hear a little bit about yourself and your family. To begin with, so myself and my family, uh, there's me, I'm 26 and I'm currently full-time parenting my daughter Alice and we live in the Yarra Valley. I'm a single mum, so it's just me and Alice and our dog Rosa in the house. So other than doing the amazing job of mothering and starting a podcast, which um, keeps you busy, I'm sure. What else um, are some of your things that you're up to? Yeah, I've got quite a bit on the go at the moment. Um, I've got, I'm renovating a caravan to try and go travelling around Australia, probably in snippets, just because Alice is still really little. But yeah, really excited about that trip and learning lots of stuff on that on that process. Yeah, and other than that, I like getting outdoors and doing lots of bushwalking and camping when we're allowed to go camping again everything's a bit on its head at the moment yes through covid at the moment yeah and how old is alice i don't know if you said no she's 13 months now yeah awesome yeah so she's walking and talking and making a lot of mess love little alice yeah so uh, maybe we'll get started then um go right back to the beginning if you'd like to talk a bit about um how Alice was conceived? Yeah, sure. So I guess Alice's, well, my birth story starts a long time ago. Um, I'd been with her, Alice's dad for five years before we separated last year when Alice was six months old. And we actually had another pregnancy three months into our relationship and ended up terminating that pregnancy for a variety of reasons. We were just both really young and fearful and I think, yeah, in looking back I never 
really recovered. It was traumatic for me and I never really recovered from that and always regretted that decision. I, yeah, I felt really, really pushed into it and I wasn't able at the time. Yeah, I just didn't have the understanding of myself and my needs to be able to ask for the support and the guidance that I needed and I just was tried to keep it really quiet and not tell anybody and, yeah, as a result, the only input I got was from my partner who was also absolutely terrified and, yeah, so that was really traumatic for me and I just didn't, um, yeah, never really recovered from that and just wanted another baby straight away. Mm. Yeah, and I guess that sort of, yeah, went on for the next four years of me wanting a baby and him still not being ready and just, yeah, the ups and downs and highs and lows of that and, yeah, and then finally, yeah, finally we made the decision together to um, to try again and have a baby and, yeah, I was super happy about that. Mm, that would have yeah. been so hard, that journey that you were on before you finally conceived and decided to keep the pregnancy the second time around yeah definitely I um actually in last week's or this week's interview with Charlotte she said something that just um felt really right for me too she said that her um, first relationship was or something along the lines of her first relationship was like a reflection of where she was at at that time and yeah I really feel like all those years staying together were yeah really a reflection on how much I wanted that baby and felt mm. like I needed to have a baby with him and, mm. like, that was keeping me there, which yeah. obviously didn't work out very well. But, yeah, but I guess you, yeah, only realise that in hindsight. Yeah. Mm. And you've got this beautiful little girl, Alice, out of all of this, some of the, a lot of the hardships that you've gone through. Yeah, absolutely. I just, um, yeah, I don't regret having her at all and absolutely adore her and I think I think in some ways we sort of subconsciously seek out the experiences that we need to heal from whatever trauma it is that we've had and like you know I just knew that I needed to have a baby with him and to have you know that journey be whatever it was and you know ultimately we probably wouldn't have stayed together anyway if we had um, kept the first baby and Mm. like this was always going to happen but I knew that I needed to go through that process on some level and yeah, I think, yeah, the separation's been really hard and still in a really tough place, but, yeah, I'm starting to see that things are going to be better than they've ever been mm. as well, so. Kind of the light at the end mm. of a really long, dark tunnel for some yeah. time now. Yeah, yeah. So in Alice was a conscious conception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she was. We um, fell pregnant the first try. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting there for you. Yeah, she was right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Um, yeah, so how did you feel when you found out you were pregnant? I was just so excited. I um, I feel like I knew straight away that I was, but I was also really scared that I wouldn't get pregnant or that I wouldn't be able to or, mm. um, you know, and even though it happened on that first month, I still, um, yeah, still, still spent, you know, every moment worrying. But... But I also kind of knew I had some of the same symptoms as the first time and so, and felt different in my body. So I was taking tests every day and then, you know, very, very slowly the faintest line showed up and I was just so excited. <laughs> and being a local in 
Hillsville and Yarra Valley, um, did you already know Robbie and Lisa? Yeah, so a close friend of mine had uh, – she – I think she was due – yeah, I think she was about, like, 40 weeks when I found out. So she had been seeing um, Robbie and Lisa, the private midwives, and – and I ran into her down the street the day that I found out and she was, you know, waiting for labour to start and she just said, spoken so highly of them and changed her mind from going to hospital to having a home birth with them and, mm. yeah, just felt like they would be able to support me in whatever choice and had heard good things. So That's really special. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like that you knew pretty instantly that you were pregnant after intimacy. Yeah, yep. I think within like a week or two. I just had a feeling, especially because I'd already accidentally fallen pregnant once and couldn't even couldn't even work out how. Like mm. it wasn't you know, there wasn't really a mistake. So um, wow. yeah, I didn't think it would be hard. Yeah. And you did mention that you had um some symptoms and things that you could tell you were pregnant from um your first pregnancy and termination to um yeah discover that you were actually pregnant can you tell a little bit about yeah the symptoms that you felt and yeah felt really bloated and yeah just noticeably and queasy and sick and yeah I think because yeah I think because I was looking for it I noticed it as well straight away yeah and how about the rest of your pregnancy like how long did you get any first trimester symptoms of sickness and what was the rest of your pregnancy like? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I had morning sickness at the start um, for about maybe about 10 weeks, I think, or 10 or 12 weeks. And, yeah, that was horrible, but I didn't throw up or anything like that. But, yeah, just feeling really sick all the time and the exhaustion was just next level. I was so tired and um, I was I just started a new job, which was pretty intense and just getting my – getting to know my way around a whole new team of people and I had quite a complicated role and I just really, really struggled in the first trimester and I ended up quitting my job mm. um, at about 12, 10 or 12 weeks, I think. And Yeah, and then the rest of the pregnancy went pretty smoothly. Unfortunately, it was over summer. So, yeah, once I got past like the 20-week mark, it was into January and February and it was just so hot. Um, and I have really low blood pressure so I already had really low blood pressure but then it yeah obviously it drops when you're pregnant so mine got super low I can't remember what the numbers were but I was having lots of dizzy spells I couldn't really stay standing up for long and that was part of the reason why I never went back to work Mm. um actually really tricky yeah I had one episode at Heather Heather's house once I was moving my horse so I had to go pick up a horse float and I was just standing and chatting to her in her house and I often have the feeling like I'm going to pass out and I can just sit down Mm. um, really fast and just have the blackout on the floor and then get back up again but um, yeah I had the feeling and I sat on a bench outside and luckily Heather came out because I actually my blood pressure dropped really low and I had a seizure and nearly fell on the concrete so yeah so that was definitely um a low point and really I was scary. a little bit scared after that yeah That's super scary and how many weeks were you then I think that I would have been about 18 weeks maybe wow yeah so from then on I had to be really careful and um, my midwife suggested 
like I was just drinking so much coconut water with electrolytes and heaps of fluids and eating really regularly and taking iron supplements and things just to try and try and kind of keep it at bay but yeah it was always always pretty low and I just have to be really careful about um basically just standing still at all <laughs> yeah well it would have made things a bit more tricky mm-hmm. you had to be really conscious and aware of what you were doing all the time so um you you did already mention about um you um you knew Robbie and Lisa before you were pregnant through a friend and that you wanted to do private midwifery um, as your care provider. When did you decide to that you wanted to have a home birth? Um, it was a bit of a backwards and forwards process actually for us. Um, I was always open to the idea, but at that time they were running, they were also still working at Casey Hospital and were running a trial program, which was, um, it was I think it was called Private in Public or something like that, where you would have private midwifery care through Yarra Valley Midwives, but they, but you had the option to have the delivery in hospital. And it was basically, you know, it wasn't part of the hospital system. And as far as I could gather, you weren't, um, you know, then under all the rules of the hospital. Mm. But it was more like they were just using that space. Um, and I felt quite comfortable with that. I'm not someone who's scared of hospitals or I kind of like hospitals actually in a weird sort of way and so that didn't concern me and I liked the idea of being close to close to extra help if we needed it and and we also were living in a tiny house at the time on my family's um they've got a a big farm in the Yarra Valley and we had a little tiny house on one sort of edge of the property so yeah it was about 45 minutes from the hospital and we had a really small space so I think yeah, part of it, I was conscious that, um, you know, it was a little bit of a tricky space to work with, with a home birth. Um, but, yeah, we discussed it with Robbie and Lisa during some of the first appointments and they were just so – they'd already done one tiny house home birth and they were just so non-issue about it all. Um, and, yeah, my partner had a few more reservations, but, yeah, after a couple of appointments we decided to go ahead with a home birth. Yeah. What do you think were your, like, um, what were the final decisions, like, to go with the home birth? What turned you Mm. to Um, make that final decision? Was there anything specific or did you go through any fears that you had to let go or anything? Not really. I was actually probably more of the it was hard to make a decision because I didn't feel strongly either way. Um, that for me there was pros and cons to both mm. and I was really I would have been really happy with either at that time um, so yeah I think that's why it was hard to make a decision mm. for me and then yeah getting closer to the birth at I knew that um, my grandparents who own the property that we lived on have some pretty strong ideas about home birth and there have been some home births in my family that didn't go very well um, and they had a lot of fear about that so um, because we were birthing on their property, I sort of felt like I needed their permission. Mm. Even though it was our house, I still felt like I needed their permission. But because I knew they wouldn't give it, I just left it really late and didn't tell them and mm. or would always phrase it like, oh, we're thinking about it, or even though I had made the decision. So it was, yeah, it was pretty silly actually. And then it got to, you know, like 36 weeks or something like that before I finally had to say, okay, we're actually doing this. And then I just got such a you know, aggressive kind of 
backlash, really emotional mm. backlash against it. And yeah, I was really, really upset by that. And so then we we're looking at other options. We we're considering actually birthing at Yarra Valley Midwives Clinic Rooms mm. in Hillsville or getting an Airbnb close to the hospital or just going to the hospital to be in the private in public mm. scheme. And yeah, it was getting really close to the due date and I just couldn't make up my mind. It was very like very later on that it all came together for you. Yeah, yeah, it was. And um I was yeah, and then one night I was in I went out to listen to so Archie Roach came to play in Hillsville mm. and um we went to see that concert and I think the first song was this really, really beautiful song. It's still one of my favourites called A Child Was Born Here. And it's all about, I think the lyrics are something like, be careful when you walk through this land because a child was born here and a child was born there. Mm. And it just made me cry. It makes me cry every time Mm. I listen to it. And, yeah, it was all about that connection to place and honouring the land because that's where our babies are born. And I just Mm. knew straight away it had to be at home. Yeah. Mm. Sounds like a deep... um, deep feeling ancestral connection and to the land and everything mm. through that song. Yeah, and I've grown up on that property and um, we had a beautiful – so our house is right next to a dam with this big gum tree next to it and we've got a deck um, and we had a deck out the front and we decided when we were going ahead with the home birth to put the, the birth pool out on the mm. deck underneath the gum tree overlooking the water and I just yeah I just couldn't get that image out of my mind and after hearing the song I was yeah really set that we were going to go ahead with that and yeah no issues from there it's absolutely beautiful Mm. um yeah it sounds like there was a lot of family pressure and it was hard to differentiate between what was yours and what was being expected and pressured onto you Mm. it would have been really tricky and especially at that stage in pregnancy when you're really wanting to go inward and yeah definitely that yeah but it was a big like yeah it was a big growing up moment because I still do but especially before that you know really played the child or the grandchild in that relationship and it was a big moment of doing it my way Mm, and sticking out for myself and and I've had to draw on that you know over and over again as a parent as well and I think yeah, it's important to have that separation at some point. Yeah, something to be proud of, definitely. Mm. And just to touch quickly, just in case someone else is listening that might have been in your position of finding it really hard to decide between hospital birth or home birth, um, what were some of the pros and cons that you were kind of going through in your mind? Yeah, sure. Um for me, I guess, like, for me it was really this question that I kept coming back to asking myself, am I really willing to potentially risk being that far from help just so that it's picturesque and I don't have to get in the car? And I almost felt like it was selfish to prioritise those things above having medical help available. I think that's what the battle was for me. Um so, you know, the pros of hospital were that we were close, that I didn't need to worry about the distance, that the help was there if I needed it. Um, I mean, that's pretty pretty much it. But but also that I wasn't against being there. 
you know, the pros of, of being at home were more about convenience, not having to get in the car, um, not having to travel in the car while in labour, and just getting this beautiful birth, you know, in the space where I wanted it to be and that sort of thing. And, yeah, yeah, I think I struggled because I'm quite a, like, that's my dog Rosa coming over for a pet. <laughs> um, yeah, generally... I've done a lot of risk assessments and that's like normally how I make decisions is I weigh up the risks and the benefits and then make a decision based on that. And I didn't, you know, choosing the birth space to be at home because because of things that to me seemed superficial, I couldn't, yeah, I really struggled to work out how to fit that in with my decision-making process. And I think, yeah, I needed to hear that song and have that moment mm. to to remember that it wasn't, it's, yeah, it's not a risk assessment and it's a choice and it's something deeper than that and that's where I needed to be. Yeah. Mm. I hope that kind of answers the question, yeah. but sort of not. <laughs> Did, just a quick question around that. Did you um, come to some realisation in yourself that maybe you didn't need to rely on such um, medical help or intervention, that birth um, is more like coming from a place within ourselves and it's safe and everything we need is within ourselves unless there is some sort of complication? Um, I, I already thought that all along um, and I didn't really have any doubts that I could do it. I thought, yeah, I felt like I was going to be able to do it and I felt like I wasn't going to struggle and, like, obviously it would be hard, but, yeah, I had an inner feeling that everything was going to be fine. But it was more like... Uh, you didn't have any doubts that you wouldn't be able to do it? No, it wasn't about, you know, birthing my baby. I didn't really have any doubt that I could do that It was or, like, I would need interventions to help birth her. It was just more about, you know, that 1% or 2% mm. chance that something actually goes wrong. Mm. Um, you had a little bit of a fear around that. Yeah, and it was more like, yeah, a fear of how, will I forgive myself mm. if that does happen and I've chosen to be at home and that makes a difference. And because yeah. you had in mind how far away you were from the yeah. nearest hospital, which was how yeah. far? Um, about 45 minutes. Yeah. And I, so I just made really clear to um, Robbie and Lisa, and they were great. I just made it really clear, you know, I know most of your women really don't want to go to hospital and that's, you know, the space that they're in, but I want you to call sooner than, you know, even you think is necessary. Like if there is any sign mm. of anything, like I want to be the one that goes to hospital sooner yeah sooner rather than later for sure <laughs> which they usually do anyway but just yeah. um give the options to the birthing woman mm. they showed me all the equipment and all the resource equipment yeah. and went through the bag and everything and made sure I was feeling like really comfortable about it and and yeah I was yeah yeah well that yeah it's amazing Everybody has their own way of coming to the decision, but once you come to that place, you know that that's the right thing to do and you don't have to have any other fears or questions about it because you've done all the work around mm. it. Yeah, and funnily enough, no none, no fears at all of anything going wrong came up during mm. my labour and, yeah, I didn't really go overdue or anything and I just, mm. like, yeah, it was really straightforward and... I just didn't even think about that stuff at all. So it was yeah. just like I had to do all of that before yeah. and I worked my way through it and, and yeah, felt good and it didn't come up again. Yeah. Mm. It's just proves how necessary that work is in your pregnancy. So um, um, there's not unwanted 
fears that you haven't worked through um, coming up because there's already so many things that can come up in birth. Yeah, exactly. That's amazing. Um, So next I would like to, yeah, maybe start talking about your labour journey, um, the days leading up to when things began in your journey of labour. What what was the initial thing that started? Yeah. So um, because all of my friends had just had their first babies and they'd all gone really overdue, I just had it fixated in my mind that I would be at least one to two weeks overdue. Um, and I hadn't really got everything ready the way that I'd wanted it to be yet. But I started losing my mucus folk on a couple of days before my due date. Mm. And I'd always had really strong Braxton Hicks for pretty much my whole pregnancy. I think from like 16 or 18 weeks mm. I'd been having Braxton Hicks the whole time and they were quite strong towards wow. the end. So, um, yeah, and then just started having a bit of a show a couple of days before her due date and then, yeah, on a f- she was due on a Friday and that evening, yeah, just after I went to bed, I started having some really mild tightenings um, when I was going to bed about like 9 p.m. or something like that and, yeah, it, just, it actually started and just established really quickly um, and so there were probably like... Just going back to when you said um, you didn't have everything prepared, did you go through a little nesting stage before this happened and what things hadn't you got around to doing that you'd wanted to do? It was more um, I'd got all the baby stuff ready and we had the birth pool there. But, you know, I'd made, you know, in in her cupboard I'd got a whole lot of little drawers and – little drawers for her clothes and laid everything out and packed a box of um, a box of things that we'd need that was ready to be in the house or to put in the car to go to hospital. And I was ready from a baby perspective, but we'd been having electricity. Um, so our tiny house is completely off-grid with a um, off-grid solar system and water as well. So we, yeah, and because it was summer, we'd kept running out of water and um, have to get it trucked in and the solar system wasn't working reliably, so a lot of the time we didn't have any power unless we were running a generator. So, yeah, even all through my pregnancy I was having to lug, you know, jerry cans full full of fuel backwards and forwards from the petrol station and start the generator every time I wanted to use the air con and just crazy Mm. stuff. And it just, like, sometimes it would work, but it wasn't consistent and Mm. I didn't, yeah, I really felt strongly like I needed those things to be prepared before the birth. Mm. and the other thing I fixated on was having a lawn. It was like all bare dirt around the house and I just was obsessed with the needs to be a lawn before the baby's born. Um, Isn't it funny looking back in hindsight, the things that we just need and you yeah. go, oh, why, why was I so fixated on that? I know, and it wasn't just the lawn. Like I, we did the lawn and I had a working bee and everyone came and like spread all the dirt out and planted the lawn, but then it was full of cape leaves. So I was like down weeding it constantly, trying to get rid of it. I don't know, I just got... Like, I mean, it's kind of yeah. meditative, but yeah. also I yeah, think also it really pre- preoccupy <laughs> our minds in that anticipation leading up to, oh, when's, when's yeah. um, you know, labour going to start because it's so unpredictable. Yeah, exactly. And it must have been good because I was, like, on my hands and knees quite a lot, so I guess it was good <laughs> for positioning. <laughs> yeah. 
Alright, so you were explaining that you lost your mucus plug a couple of days before the due date, is that right? Yeah, or maybe even the day before, yeah. And then, yeah, so you said things started happening pretty quickly um, on the Friday. So, yeah, follow yeah. on from that. Yeah, so sort of tightening started and they were pretty gentle and I was able to just keep lying in bed on my side, breathing through them for most of the night. But they were five to eight minutes apart right from the start, so they were close enough together that I was struggling to sleep because they'd wake me up. Mm. So I didn't really – I might have drifted off for the first couple of hours in between, but um, after that I didn't sleep at all. And I think around maybe around midnight or 1 a.m. they started to get uncomfortable and I was still lying on my side and just breathing through them, but I woke my partner up and said I thought, yeah, I thought things were happening. And I'd borrowed a TENS machine um, off – somebody and it wasn't a specific birthing one it was just a normal tens machine mm. so it operated a bit differently with a just dial mm. on it to adjust it and I thought I'd give that a go so yeah he put that on my back and I was trying to use it and I didn't really love the sensation of it but I was trying for a while and then at about 3am I was really uncomfortable and I wanted to try just running our normal bath and jump in the bath and I asked my partner to take the TENS machine off me and I'd been using it on the, the very lowest setting because I really didn't like the sensation mm. um, and hardly even really turning it up during contractions. I just didn't mm. I just didn't really like it and I was trying to give it a go but wasn't much of a fan. But when he went to take it off, he tried to turn it off and he turned it the whole way on oh my <laughs> and pretty much electrocuted me and it was just – Oh, it was the one of one of the worst moments of my labour. It was so horrendous. It, must it was have really been, bad. Um, made it worse. The contraction, the pain in the Yeah, yeah. I don't think it was even during a contraction, okay. so there wasn't even any distraction from it. Like, it was, yeah, it was really totally horrible. So I just ripped that off and threw it on the floor and didn't touch it again. Probably didn't talk to him for a while. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty annoyed at him. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, so that was kind of early hours of the morning. Maybe like four a.m. I got in the bath and. I don't know, I was trying to be in the bath, but I wasn't really comfortable there either and came back inside and woke um, woke my partner up and said, I just need to get up, I can't. Yeah, I was feeling like I needed more help and mm. like I needed to be told what to do. Like I wasn't sure what I should be doing and I'd heard, like I'd read so many books during my pregnancy and about active labour and moving around and walking, but I felt like things were really progressing anyway and mm. I also just because of my blood pressure and also just how mm. like heavy and intense it was feeling I could just barely stand up like I really walking was hard standing up was hard especially during a contraction I just yeah. felt like I couldn't move like I just needed to be like I was so heavy I just had to be attached yeah. to the ground basically <laughs> um so and I said to my partner I think you need to call the midwives now and maybe it was like 5 a.m or something at that point and he just didn't think that it was time and didn't want to call them and he started making cups of tea and setting up a movie and I was, like, lying on the floor in child's pose on the floor, like, really oh struggling. Gosh. And he was like, come on, get up on the couch, we'll just watch a movie and have a cup of tea. I was like, no. And eventually I think I just said, okay, can you just, you know, don't call them and tell them to come, just call them and tell them what's going on and just see what they think. And um, they listened to me going through a contraction over the phone and 
yeah, pretty much just sort of said, okay, well, you know, we'll make our way over soon. And mm. and I was, yeah, really relieved about that. And I'm not sure what time they even got there. It was a few hours. Like, they didn't race over. Um, but just knowing they were coming mm. felt better for me. Reassuring. Yeah. And was there anyone else that was planning to be there? Um, or was that your whole first team? No, I wasn't planning on having anybody else there. Um, I'm very lucky. I've got two beautiful godmothers. One of them's a midwife and the other is a doula, Steffi, who was your doula. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, she's the best godmother ever. And I knew that she was – she'd been treating me a little bit throughout pregnancy. I knew that she was available if I needed her. And I can't remember who called who. Somehow she found out that I was in labour. Maybe – I don't even know what was happening. Mm. Um, there was a few births kind of overlapping and they were all working together and mm. she sort of knew and I think I initially said, yeah, come over. So she started driving over and then um, and then Robbie and Lisa checked in with me again and I said, actually, no, they'd arrived by that point. I don't think I, I don't mm. think we need her. Mm. Um, so, she, yeah, she was very disappointed but she turned around and, and didn't come. So, and, yeah, I don't, I don't think I needed a doula or anybody else there for the birth. I definitely, in retrospect, would get a postpartum doula. But, yeah. Um, and because you were saying your house is quite small being a tiny house mm-hmm. and um, yeah, you need to be kept mindful of the space. And, and yeah. also um, just going back to a bit of your antenatal care, so you had the midwifery care with Robbie and Lisa and then did you get a bit of work done with Steffi? Did you all have body work and things? Yeah, I did. I had. I also saw an osteopath, so I was seeing um, an osteo maybe like every three weeks or something mm. for my whole pregnancy, which was really good because I did have, you know, back pain and hip pain, hip pain especially um, from, yeah, it got quite bad from about 30 to 34 weeks, mm. um, maybe a bit longer. And, yeah, so I was seeing the osteo, but... The hip pain, I had sciatica and mm. and I've always had a bit of a funny hip when I do certain activities um, and it just got way worse. And, yeah, so I did have some treatments with Steffi doing some body work and pelvic alignment and that kind of thing and that was really good. It made a big difference and she suggested having some internal work done but just because I knew her and so well and I just didn't really feel comfortable with her doing it but she actually – um, explain to my partner how to do it and then so he would um, we would do that together and I would have a pelvic alignment treatment on the same day with mm. Steffi so we kind of worked all together as a team and, and yeah. that was really great and it made a big difference wow yeah it's really cool yeah um, yeah so where were where were you <laughs> <laughs> so I think um, I think Robbie and Lisa maybe the midwives came over at about 8 or 9 a.m. and my partner had already been setting up the birth pool at that point and pretty much as soon as they got there, they just did a quick check of, um, with the Doppler to check the heart rate and check my blood pressure and everything and then I got straight in the pool. And How yeah. was your blood pressure? <laughs> um, just normal yeah, low. Normal yeah, low. <laughs> yeah, normal low. Um, often it wasn't as low by the time I got to an appointment or something if I'd been walking around or, like, or had built up a bit of stress or something like that. But, yeah, so I got in the water in the pool and then I pretty much, I don't really, I, I was very in my head, I, uh, how would you describe, like, yeah, it's very fuzzy and vague from there, mm. pretty much my whole memory of it and I haven't checked my birth notes. Blurry. So 
I don't really know. I can pinpoint specific moments and things that happen, but, yeah, as far as timelines and that sort of thing, I'm not 100% mm. sure. Well, putting timelines aside, what what were you feeling and was there some kind of progression in the way you felt while you were in that pool? Mm. Yeah, I stayed in the pool for a, a really long time at the start and sometime during that time the midwives were looking at the like the purple line and they mm. thought that I was about like eight centimetres not that after not that long of being in the pool mm. and it was really intense and but I felt like I was handling it really well and I was just using all the breathing techniques that I'd learned and what did it feel like compared to the surges you were getting before you got into the pool like what was this stage feeling like for you and your body it was just all back pain mm. um I don't think she was actually posterior. She was definitely, you know, a bit off to the side. and But, yeah, it was just really strong back pain. I couldn't even feel contractions in the front at all. I had no sensation that I can recall of anything in the front. It was just all my back. It hurt so much. Can you relate to that? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, so during contractions, you know, either my partner or one of the midwives was using, like, counter pressure on the mm. pressure points on my back and squeezing my hips and I don't know if those things helped or if it was just that they were there when I was in a contraction that helped. I, I felt like, yeah, if there was somebody not at my head, like I couldn't handle it, um, like I needed somebody to be right next to me. Mm. And, yeah, so that went on for quite a while and it just it was staying at the same kind of intensity but nothing was really happening and the day was really getting on and quite a long time had passed. It was yeah, I'd probably been in the water for like six, six, seven hours. That could mm. be totally wrong, but that's roughly what it would be. Um, and, yeah, so the midwife suggested that I get out of the water and try some different things, and I think they felt like gravity would really help me. But because I struggled to stand up so much, I just I just couldn't do it. I was just mm. collapsing, and I couldn't even really hold on to somebody. I was almost falling down, like... You must have been exhausted as well by this stage. Yeah, yeah. And they were really worried about, um, well, not really worried, but they were pretty conscious of my blood pressure mm. as well. So they've been keeping up lots of, um, I was eating teaspoons of honey and salt and coconut water and fresh fruit and just, yeah, trying to trying to keep keep me so that my blood pressure wouldn't get too low. Did you manage to keep that down or was there like any vomiting? Uh, no, I didn't. I don't think I vomited. Yeah, so then I was out of the water and I was trying. First, we tried just lying in different positions on the bed. So I would just say, be in child's pose on the bed for three contractions and then roll onto one side for three contractions and then the mm. next side or things like that. Um, I think because of, I think because of, my blood pressure and how much I was struggling to stand up, we really it probably really limited mm. the sort of things that they could try. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that wasn't really working. And this whole time that I was out of the pool, I don't remember what order anything happened in, but we tried a few different things. Mm. Um, they thought that maybe if I could empty my bowels, that would help. And, yeah, that I was trying and trying and trying. And I don't know. I don't know if anything came out, but that was really hard work and really horrible um, and painful. And then we tried Rebozo, um, went back inside and tried that. And, yeah, because we were kind of inside, outside as well 
it was quite nice because like I could go into the bedroom and have an indoor space and then we had another indoor space in the lounge room and then the pool outside and grass area, nice grass. Mix it up <laughs> yeah, just to mix things up and walk around. And, yeah, they tried the, this um, technique, which I think Steffi might have showed them, called the, the double leg reposo. Where, mm. So I was leaning up. I, they tried to get me to lean against the wall, but I kept just sliding down the wall. So instead, you know, my partner was kind of holding me up and then they'd have the piece of cloth around each of my thighs and were doing the rebozo jiggling, jiggling yeah. during contractions and that was the hardest part of my leg. I was trying painful? to stand up. Okay. <laughs> so, um, hang on. You were just, um, you were <laughs> <laughs> So we've had a little bit of a break with dinner and putting babies to bed and couple of glasses of wine <laughs> but we're back to finish the story <laughs> yeah where did where did you where were you what did you <laughs> no, so I was up to I think I was yeah, talking about the rebozo but then you remembered yeah so I was up to talking about the double leg rebozo that we did but I just um going back a little bit I remembered that actually just before that I'd asked Robbie if she would do an internal check on me to see where I was at. I was feeling a little bit confused because um, it felt like a long time since I'd been told that I was probably, you know, about eight centimetres and, yeah, it felt like a long time had passed. So, yeah, I asked Robbie to do a check on me and she did and I had it in my head that if I... If she would agree to check me, then I could ask her to break my waters, and I felt like that might um, get things going a little bit. So, yeah, she did check me, and she she suggested breaking the waters, which we went ahead with. Yeah, there was – I don't think she – she didn't tell me how far along I was at that point, not that I can remember, but she broke my waters, and there was meconium in the waters, and so then it was after that that we stood up and – um, stood up and I was attempt yeah trying to lean against the wall while they did the rebozo. did you did you research or did you do any birth education or research much about that to to know that your waters hadn't broken or to decide to break your waters or is it something Ruby suggested um no I had it in my head before she suggested it that um that was what I wanted I actually thought that she yeah, I sort of thought that, you know, home birth midwives, they would be, you know, pretty anti any kind of intervention or, um, and that that would be not something that they would want to do. I felt like it was going to, that was what I wanted, but maybe it mm. wouldn't be recommended. And yes, yeah, so I was really happy with that outcome, but I hadn't, yeah, I'd done a little bit of research, not about that specifically, but mm. yeah, like, but I think I just listened to a lot of birth stories and, so many accounts of things speeding up once the waters had been broken and and so many people sort of explaining how when the waters are broken and um, that kind of bubble of of waters is away from the yeah is gone then the head can actually come down and make full contact with the cervix and, mm-hmm. and yeah and really press down and speed mm-hmm. up the dilation so I did understand yeah I did understand that um that that could help and that was why I wanted to go ahead with it because I just, I guess I felt, yeah, I was getting tired and feeling frustrated Mm -hmm. and um, ready for it, yeah, ready for things to progress. Yeah, I was going to ask what 
could you feel in your body, you know, that your body was kind of communicating with you that something needed, you needed something else? It wasn't quite right. Um, I don't think I was really aware enough to be able to realise that or not in tune with my body. Even when I was in the pool and they suggested that I get out, that wasn't even something that I'd even considered. I didn't realise how long it was taking. I was just so focused on trying to get through each contraction. Mm, yeah, in so, the zone. Yeah, so it was really I didn't realise that maybe things had slowed down or that I needed help until I had to get out of the water. And mm. then, yeah, and then when we were trying to do those things to to kind of make a change and make space and help her come down, you know, that's when I realised that um, maybe, yeah, maybe it wasn't just going straight ahead and, like, mm. I needed help and I, yeah, and then I just felt like I just wanted to do everything I could right then mm. to get things going. And how did it change things, like, once the waters broke? They probably helped to break your waters. And I know you said there was lots of meconium. But how did it feel? Like, what changed with the progress and what you felt in your body? Did just things get going straight away? Or Yeah, it was really intense straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I stood up and was doing the double leg rebozo. And, yeah, it was just – it was so intense. I could hardly stand. It, it really – yeah, it really, really changed and um, – it felt uncontrollable, really. Like um, I couldn't couldn't control my body, couldn't control what was going mm. on. It felt like I was just falling almost. And wow. Like from there until she was born, it just basically felt like I was just tumbling, tumbling down a hill. Like I couldn't stop it, and mm. it was all happening. It wasn't painful. It was painful, but it wasn't you know scary or anything. It was just happening. Mm. Yes. Wow, mm. intense. Yeah. And could you feel the heaviness on your cervix and everything opening and moving? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not so much moving, but, yeah, I could feel the heaviness and I could feel her descending and um, I think it just freaked me out, to be honest, at the feeling. Yeah, it really freaked me out because I'd never experienced it. Obviously, it's my first baby. I hadn't experienced that before and... I was just, yeah, there wasn't really time, I suppose, and I wasn't having to work to get her to move down. It was just all happening, and mm. and I just had to go with it. Yeah, mm. surrender. <laughs> yeah, surrender. Um, yeah, so what what happened next? When did you find yourself? Were you drawn to get back in the pool? Did someone help you get in the pool? Or? Yeah, I needed help to do everything mm. at that point that involved moving. <laughs> and, yeah, so when I couldn't really handle the... Reposo anymore. It wasn't very long. It might have been a couple of minutes that we were doing that, and then they helped me straight back into the pool, which was only a few steps away. And and yeah, pretty much I, from my memory, as soon as I got into the pool, I started to feel the urge to push. Okay. So you didn't get that urge until you got into the pool. I don't think so. Or if I did, I, like it was really overwhelming the sensation of trying to hold my my body up. Mm. Like that. What I remember from that time is how. Not so much how how painful it was or how or anything else that was going on in my body, but just how much I was struggling to hold myself up. Yeah, that really. That sounds like really <laughs> strong part of mm. this stage in your labour. Yeah, it was, and yeah, it felt really good to get back in the water and just be buoyant and mm. and floating, and then straight away had that yeah urge to start pushing and 
so beautiful. Yeah, and the pushing stage was, from my memory, not the most painful or the most difficult. I think it was kind of satisfying in a way, and um, the first few contractions, it wasn't very many contractions. I, I don't know how many, but, yeah, it really wasn't long before she was born, and I think the first few contractions I was just trying to, you know, just... Um, making noises and groaning and I um, can't remember exactly, but, yeah, making, like, really low noises and and just sub, like, yeah, my body was just pushing. It wasn't wasn't me trying to push, mm. really. It was just happening. It, yeah, it was just yeah. felt like it was all just happening to my body. Like, it was, like, my body was some other thing. It was just happening to it. And wow. there was not really anything conscious going on. It's quite involuntary. Yeah, it was very involuntary. <laughs> yeah, and then... It sounds quite primal as well. Yeah, it was very primal, yeah. And after a few contractions, she was... Yeah, she was crowning. We have a we have a birth video, which you've seen a little bit of, but... Yeah, it's amazing. Um, so a lot of my memory of that is taken from re-watching the video because mm-hmm. I don't really have much memory of it myself, but... Yeah, pretty much she started – so, well, through that whole time when I was pushing in between contractions, I was actually sleeping still. So I was quite mm. relaxed in between and just sleeping on the edge of the pool. And what – I remember your vision of when you realised you wanted the home birth and being on the deck with the, with the view on, um, over the dam. What, where, what could you see in between your contractions at this point? Like what – what was your surroundings like? Because I've seen the video and it's absolutely beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, it's so beautiful, the surroundings, that I was really unaware of what was going on. <laughs> like, in the video, I wish I could have this sunset. And... Yeah, there's this amazing sunset. And and when we watched the video back, we realised that it was quite silent for for a lot of that time after I got back in the water and as she was born, there was like this cacophony of bird noises. And mm. but I was just so unaware of it all. I think um, at that you were so in your body. You were so, yeah. which is perfect where you want to be. Yeah. At one point, um, I can't remember, either Robbie or Lisa um, told me to look up and there was two wedge-tailed eagles soaring overhead. Oh and, and I, yeah, I really remember that because um, I've always loved all of the local Indigenous stories about Bunjil, who's the guardian mm. um, eagle and the creator of the land in this area and love, yeah, absolutely loved those stories and always felt so blessed every time I've seen an eagle flying overhead and, like, like I was being looked out for that day yeah. when I saw one and, there, yeah, there was two eagles circling overhead when she was born and, yeah, I, yeah, they brought that to my attention and, because yeah, because they did that, I can remember noticing that and feeling like, I was being taken care of, and mm. and I think that helped make me feel safe, I guess. Yeah, beautiful, and a beautiful metaphor for what was going on mm. in your body, and mm. Alice was being birthed. And yeah, and then I wondered, maybe they know there's a baby going to be born, and they want the afterbirth. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they're hungry. Yeah, hungry birds. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, like you're saying Alice was born quite quickly. Um, how did those 
like the stages of her crowning to emerging and mm. who caught the baby and those types of things. Yeah, it felt really fast. And when I look back on it, there's quite a lot of time in, the, in between contractions. So even though it wasn't very many contractions for her to be birthed, yeah, as, you know, a fair bit of time passed. But, um, yeah, I stayed pretty calm. And at one point they told me to do the horsey lips to try to you know, to slow down so that I would stop pushing so that I didn't tear. I think that was just as I was crowning and I just kept going, like making a fart noise. I couldn't. Actually the hardest thing yeah, to do. I couldn't relax my lips and I, you know, like I know that when you relax your lips, you relax your yeah, cervix and, and that whole area, but I, I actually just couldn't do it. So, yeah, I can remember that and. And Did you have a laugh or were you just beyond that? Were you like, no, no, I was beyond that, but I remembered it later on and had a laugh about it. <laughs> yeah, and then, um, yeah, and then pretty much her head was born first and it was quite a long time in between. It didn't feel like long at the time, but when I, yeah, when I watched back, it was, yeah, quite a couple of minutes at least of just her head being born and mm. um, my partner was in the water with me. I was sort of on all fours leaning over the side of the pool and he was behind me and um yeah you can sort of see in the video he's reaching in and she had meconium all in her mouth and he sort of scooped that out of her mouth just mm. instinctively and and was touching her on the face and her little lips were all pouted mm. and um it's so yeah. I know it's so cute yeah so she just sat there for a while and I was really calm during that and really yeah it was just really silent and peaceful and then yeah on the next contraction or the next push her body was born into the water and she was kind of tangled up I think my partner was going to catch her but she was sort of tangled up and the midwives helped to sort of untangle her and lift her up out of the water and then yeah I, I turned around and had to kind of climb over the cord and yeah was that tricky um no, I think I just did it instinctively and yeah. like got myself into the position and so that I could quickly have her on my chest and yeah, that was just the most amazing moment. So beautiful and I was just so so overwhelmed and so happy to finally have a baby in my mm. arms. Mm. And what did you feel like looking at her for the first time? I just felt so grateful. And so um, just overwhelmed with love straight away. Mm. Yeah, it was just, it wow. was such bliss. It was, yeah, it was absolutely beautiful. And I kept trying to say thank you to my partner and he kept saying, no, thank you, you did it. And But I was trying to say thank you for, you know, finally having a baby. And I was mm. just so grateful to finally have a baby in my arms after mm waiting what felt like so long like I wasn't just waiting the pregnancy or mm. you know I was waiting for so many years to have a baby in my arms mm. yeah it was so special for me and yeah we didn't check what the gender was straight away did you it kind of didn't cross your mind did it no I just so <laughs> engrossed into that beautiful moment yeah exactly it didn't even cross my mind at all and I think um there was something else that you said, though. You were saying thank you, but wasn't there something else? Like, oh, I said, I said to, I turned to one of the midwives and I just said, I just love this baby so much. <laughs> <laughs> I love this baby so much. And, and Lisa said, 
I know, honey, you can keep her. She's yours. <laughs> <laughs> so beautiful. I remember watching the video and your eyes are just like, just, I like I've never seen before. Just full of love and oxytocin and... I looked like I was off my face. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> but in the most beautiful, like, just beautiful, natural, um, maternal, instinctual way. Like, it was <clears throat> such a beautiful video. Mm. you got to share that one day. <laughs> yeah, we'll see, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, it was such a special, special, special moment and... Yeah, so we sort of said that, and then after a little while, the midwives asked if we'd like to check what the gender was, and I actually, first I said, no, no, um, <laughs> I'm not ready. <laughs> and I think I'd really been, I wanted a girl, and I'd been trying to talk myself out. Everybody thought that it was a girl, and I'd been trying to, the whole pregnancy, I didn't want to, I didn't want to believe what everybody said and then be disappointed. So I'd just been talking myself into, it's a boy or you don't know or, even though I did know, and I think I was. You knew she was a girl. Yeah, I did know, but like I was really reluctant because I was scared to be mm. disappointed, and I didn't want to feel disappointed when I checked. You wanted a girl so badly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I said no, and then. And then, you know, like not very less than a minute later, I said, actually, no, we've got to check. <laughs> and, yeah, we reached under and um, she was sort of, because it was quite, we were outside and it was May, 3rd of May. So it was quite cold and we had a sort of a wet, we're still sitting in the water and we're trying to keep her underwater and had towels over her head and over her body that we were just kept wetting down so she mm. would stay warm. So we yeah. had to lift the towels up and and check and she was a girl and I was just so happy <laughs> so happy she was a girl and my really a really close friend of mine had had two boys um, previously and two blonde boys and she said you need to have a dark-haired baby girl and and in the video I think I said oh of course she is she's a dark she's a dark-haired baby girl just like Sophie asked for I need to tell her she got what she wanted <laughs> Yeah, so I was just, I was so excited, and I was so excited for me, and so excited for everybody, and so excited for my friend, and yeah, just really blissed out and happy, and we stayed in the water for, I think, probably, we were probably in there for about an hour before um, the midwives suggested Mm. getting out, because the placenta hadn't come yet. You had this beautiful golden hour, Mm. blissful, and did you know what you were going to name her? No, we had a few ideas for names, but no, we didn't choose a name. And we didn't choose a name for about a week. Oh, wow. Yeah, trialled a few, but yeah, yeah, didn't choose. Love that. That golden hour after birth, it just, it didn't seem like an hour. It seems like five minutes. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know that feeling. Oh, my God. Time was, was never already? gone so slow. When, when they encouraged so me. So fast, so. Yeah. yeah. And they encouraged me, okay, we'll go to get the bliss centre. To get the third stage, I was like, already? Like, <laughs> it's been five minutes, but it's been like an hour as well. It yeah. just goes too fast. Mm. So, yeah, what was the stage leading into your third, 
the third stage in delivering your placenta? What happened after that? Um, it was pretty straightforward, actually. I just, yeah, they suggested getting out of the water to deliver the placenta. And I think the midwives are pretty concerned about whether about my blood pressure and how I was going to cope. There was some blood in the water, not a, you know, not a worrying amount, but I think they were already kind of on alert and mm. had been considering, they'd been considering through the labour putting a, like an IV in, in preparation to give me fluids if my blood pressure dropped low enough. So I was sort of on the borderline of maybe already needing help. Mm. And so they were pretty, um, yeah, we were just all really careful and slow about how I got out of the water because Alice was obviously still attached to the cord, so mm. I needed to be the one holding her and, you mm. know, obviously I couldn't drop to the ground holding a newborn baby. So, yeah, it was really slow and we did talk about it and they just kept saying, that's it, keep your eyes open, look straight ahead, don't look down. <laughs> it's only a few steps and made it made our way into the bedroom. Did you feel dizzy? Yeah, I felt dizzy, yeah. I felt dizzy, but I didn't. It didn't go dark, so that was really good. Didn't didn't black out at all. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was good. And then um, I didn't really. I didn't feel like any. I wasn't having any more contractions, or didn't feel any more urge to push the placenta out. And they suggested just kind of like um, getting sort of into a squat position and just coughing. Mm. and just coughing the placenta out and we were meant to have prepared a bowl or something to put it in but I hadn't got to that stage yet and so they were trying to find something because we lived in a tiny house we had hardly any kitchen utensils like really nothing and they'd already been using a lot of them to cook and so they found like this vintage bright yellow Le Creuset pot and we're like oh this is just big enough so I sort of held <laughs> held one of our little saucepans underneath me and I just coughed a few times and the placenta came straight out. It was like wow. really easy, but it was kind of funny. And we have some funny photos of um of Alice and the placenta and the Le Creuset pot. <laughs> wow. And that was the completion of your Yeah, and that was birth it. of Alice and then the placenta her placenta was out. Mm. And had she latched already, or what? What was the process of Alice feeding and latching? Um, I actually can't remember if she latched first or afterwards. I'm not hundred percent sure. Um, she definitely. We had a bed set up, which is basically where I delivered the placenta on the bed. Mm -hmm. Um, in just we had a wood fire in the tiny house, and it was just we literally just had a futon on the ground in front of the fire. Um, and we ended up staying there for nearly a month, just on the lounge room floor. Um, but I think that I may have fed her first a little bit, but she had a big feed afterwards and um, while well, she was still attached and had a, had a good breastfeed. And yeah, we sort of did the breast crawl, but she just needed a little bit of help. She like she was trying really hard and mm. rooting around and and crawling, but she just needed a little bit of help mm. to get on. Um, yeah, and then she latched on and had a really good feed and it was probably an hour or two later, maybe when we cut the cord and and Yeah, and then she had a cuddle with her dad and was on his chest and she was trying to 
I've got a really cute photo of her trying to breastfeed on him. <laughs> and <laughs> anything will do. Yeah, anything will do at that, at that point. And I think that was when they were just checking me over to see whether, um, you know, whether there'd been any damage or anything mm. like that. And I had, I had a, a few grazes, and maybe there was one graze that was like borderline a tear, but nothing needed stitches, and and that was all fine. Um, yeah, and just lots of obs, lots of blood pressure, mm. and. Um, you know, checking on me and making sure I was eating and drinking and all that sort of thing. And you were all good? And Yeah, yeah. How was, did you have fine. a big bleed or anything? No, I didn't I didn't have a big bleed. I think it was all just pretty standard mm. sort of thing. And, yeah, and then I guess they stayed a few hours and then they headed home and we just had our, had our bed in front of the fire. And What time was it by this stage? So she was born at 5.50 p.m. It was exactly on sunset. It's very picturesque, and I wish I had been able to remember it. It looks beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so she was born right on sunset, and they're probably gone by 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. or something like that. Um, And, yeah, we just – the midwife said to me that we should – we should not co-sleep the first night just because I hadn't had any sleep the night before and I was so tired and yeah. it would be better to put her. We had a little, you know, Moses basket or whatever mm. and we should put her in there and that feeling, I just put her in the basket and I just couldn't sleep. I had this feeling she was so far away mm. even though she was right next to me in the basket. Like that was too far and we did end up co-sleeping that night. I just... Um, needed to be close to her mm. Mm. like it was yeah it's amazing you go from carrying them around in your belly to mm. them being just right there where you can touch them but it's still not close enough i know exactly what you mean and did did she have a nice solid sleep to begin with yeah she slept six hours she had a little wow. hibernation sleep which was amazing and we slept i think i slept through for that six hours managed to get to sleep eventually. yeah i did and yeah, and then that was probably the longest she slept for six months. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. Unfortunately. Um, so I'm glad we got that bit of sleep. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, mm. it sounds really actually quite warm and cosy and a perfect, you know, um, 40 days or mm. fourth trimester postpartum period. Yeah. It was, I actually found it really chaotic and. You know, it was beautiful and messy, but I, I think because it was a tiny house, there was not it was not clear when people came to help with mm. cooking and cleaning up and putting stuff away. You know, everything had a very specific spot, and often that would change depending on what oh. was available. So it was really me. Like my partner never did any cleaning or putting anything away. It was just always me who was on top of it, and so mm. because I couldn't do it, it was just absolute chaos, and every surface was covered and. I found that really stressful mm. to be around and I wasn't really able to communicate that, but, yeah, it was really stressful to be in a messy space. Like, we're, you know, we're quite minimalist and I had been used to a really tidy space with hardly any belongings in it and to just everyone would bring stuff whether I wanted it or not and not check first whether mm. whether they could bring some new toy or some new, mm. you know, whatever baby thing it was and we just – yeah, it was just chaotic and messy and everyone was trying to help but I didn't feel like I was actually able to communicate what I wanted things to look like or um, yeah. what I needed. I suppose that gets to the question of did you 
have much of a postpartum plan or any boundaries that you communicated. <laughs> I wish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what Would you change something next time around? Like, would there be something that you'd like? Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I'd change a lot of things. I think if there's anything that I'm disappointed with how it went in my birth, it would be the postpartum or everything after she was born, pretty much. Yeah. Not, I mean, there was beautiful moments, and mm. I had such support, amazing support, and um, and postnatal care from my midwives. I just, I couldn't fault that. They were amazing. They came and visited me at home mm. and checked in with me all the time, and were always available for anything I needed. And I also had amazing support from my mum and um, from my godmother Steffi. But you know. Yeah, it's really hard because even though I'd done all this research and I'd read the first 40 days and talked to people about what postpartum looked like, but it's really hard until you've been through it to actually understand. Like I'm quite used to being in control and being able to control my situation and um, meet my own needs, and I didn't really realise that I wouldn't be able to meet my own needs and I'd need other people to do that for me. And did you struggle communicating and asking for that help with support? Yes, I did. Mm. I um, yeah, I struggled. I was not good at that point at asking for help at all. Such a vulnerable and time as well. Yeah, you I know, don't want to be asking. It's kind of something that you want to prepare, mm. put boundaries in place beforehand. And the only person that I was comfortable asking for help was my partner, and he was not supportive mm. at all. And if I asked him for help with something, most of the time. He would say yes, but then palm it off to somebody else. So oftentimes I was left being supported in things with somebody who wasn't comfortable with being there for that part, whether it was bathing and, you know, taking care of my grazes and Mm. tears and things that I wasn't comfortable with other people doing. He would be not available or palming that off to other people. So I think I was left in a really vulnerable position Mm. having to rely on people who – I didn't expect to have to rely on and who I wasn't actually comfortable with. Especially with things that are so intimate, like mm. your own wounds. and Yeah, exactly. And I did have a bit of a – yeah, I had a few pretty tough stuff come up postpartum. One of them was that one of the grazers got infected and so that was really, really incredibly painful for, for a couple of weeks and, and that took, you know, bathing four times a day and herbs mm. and treat and – you know, dressing and that sort of thing. And um, my partner went back to work after, I think he took two full days off and then he started going back part-time. And I guess, yeah, we didn't really discuss. I don't know. I sort of, I was just so keen to have the baby. I was just like, yeah, whatever, you know, I can do it. And Mm. like I would be in control and I could meet my own needs because I have all my life. And... Mm. Yeah, and then all of a sudden he wasn't there and I was on my own and there was no power and water was running out and I had this newborn baby and I didn't know what I was doing and learning to breastfeed and trying to to treat these wounds and whenever he couldn't be there, he'd organise. Well, I would have, you know, I had to be really strong. If you can't be there, you need to organise somebody else to be there. Like Mm. I can't, I'm not willing to be on my own right now. I can't actually take care of myself and a baby Right now I need somebody else to be here. If it can't be you, you need to have already organised somebody else. You know, it's really I, sad. 
Yeah, and I really, like, that's one of the hardest things to process is just how traumatic it was having to, um, you know, and you're in that hormonal postpartum kind of headspace and it's really hard to organise anything and to think in advance about what you're going to need and to ask for help and to coordinate people and I think my partner didn't actually really understand how, how foggy and messy everything was in my head and that I couldn't actually do it. And You're not meant to do it alone. Like It's just more than ever in our postpartum, we're not meant to do anything alone. It takes mm. a village. That's yeah. where the saying comes from. Yeah, and it was like all the pieces were there and there was enough people to substitute him, but, but I couldn't be the one to organise it. Be expected to. <laughs> No, so, and it wasn't what I wanted, and I guess we hadn't really discussed in enough in enough depth what mm. this would look like, and and that's just because I didn't know how hard it was going to be. Yeah, it's tricky. Like postpartum, you don't know. You know, you can read things like you said, or you can be told stories, but you don't know how hard and challenging and messy and all the things and how vulnerable we're going to feel until we actually go through it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, and like having been through that experience, I just there's so many things that mm-hmm. I'm gonna do differently if I have another baby. I mean, just pretty much everything to do with postpartum is gonna look completely different, and and that starts with, um, you know, really being strong about what my needs are gonna be, and that I'm I'm not the one to meet them. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not I'm I'm gonna meet my baby's needs, mm-hmm. and that's so, pretty much it. And Everything you, else needs to be on other people, and other people to support I, I need you. To, other people need to feed me, and other people need to make sure that I'm drinking enough water, and other people need to make sure that I'm taking care, taking whatever medication I need to, and other people need to make sure that there's somebody here, and so that I can have a shower or whatever, and I just need to take care of my baby. Yeah, because I don't know. I mean, maybe some people have the experience where it's easy and they can do it all, but that wasn't what it was like for me and I think it was really compounded by how um, how intense our living situation was even you know the bathroom was a good hundred meters away outdoors, outdoors and a composting toilet and just you know there was no rubbish delivery you know how to tip runs there was no automatic mm. water when you turned on the tap there was no automatic power when you flicked on the light switch like it was it's just like you needed people not to come and just bring whatever they thought but to come and do those things for you yeah specific things yeah. but I didn't actually have like you're not in headspace to be able to think in advance what those things are and to, mm. you know like I couldn't think I couldn't go the power's gone out and then explain call someone and go okay I need you to bring petrol and oil and prime the generator and then I need you to switch over to the secondary battery and the this and that like it was just totally absolutely mm. beyond um beyond my capability and I felt so alone yeah I'm so sorry you had to go through that it sounds absolutely yeah really awful Mm. yeah it was really tough Mm. and I think it didn't set me up well for yeah like I became more and more independent slowly and Mm. started you know obviously started spending time with Alice on my own but you know, it was really isolated even when I was on my own and it wasn't like home alone but I could walk down the street for a coffee or 
you know, it's yeah, a half an hour drive to town and to go see somebody, so. You did an yeah. amazing job. Mm, thank you. You've done amazing considering the challenges that you had to face in isolation, which is quite common mm. for a lot of women's stories, birthing <clears throat> people's stories. Yeah, absolutely. I know you're really passionate about about this and about supporting women postpartum and, yeah, all that involves and, yeah, if there's anything I would change about my birth, it would absolutely 100% to be supported by a postpartum doula after birth. For me, the birth itself obviously was really challenging and physically mm. really, really challenging, but it was also empowering and I didn't feel like I needed more people there or, like, there was something that I didn't need. But, mm. yeah, it was that time afterwards where yeah, I really, really felt like my needs weren't met and that even when I said that my needs weren't being met, nothing changed. Mm. And that was that was probably almost traumatic to mm. be saying my needs aren't being met and to have nothing change. Mm. Mm. It's definitely our most vulnerable, mm. most vulnerable we'll ever be in those early days of postpartum. Yeah. And postpartum's forever. <laughs> it changes. In that first year, I think, is it sometimes even gets harder because it's like, okay, you've been doing this for three months, six months, mm. eight months. You, you know, you're on your own kind of thing. You don't need the help anymore. But it's like some of those times are when you need, yeah, just the same amount of help and support as the early days. Yeah, absolutely. And then I guess, you know, it's not just about, you know, obviously setting yourself up for being, you know, more supported during postpartum, but then it is also about learning to ask for help and Mm -hmm. learning to be really in tune with your own energy and your own needs and when you're able to meet your own needs and when you're not and um, picking up on that quickly so that you can ask for help and yeah, learning when you can, letting it be a conscious decision to push through it or mm. a conscious decision, I'm not going to push through it, I'm going to ask for help. Yeah, and, and I you think deserve that's the balance. to. Yeah. And I think it's a lot, giving us permission, not feeling shame around asking for help. It's like, no, we are, we have babies that are de- totally dependent on us, a whole new human, and like we need to be able to call on people that can help support us through that. Mm. Yeah, and for me that starts with, like, I love being asked for help Mm. and I love it when people ask me for something specific and when it's something that I feel like I can do and I can Mm. say, yes, that feels so good for me. And, yeah, for me it was a process of trusting that when somebody else offered help, they were feeling the same way, like they did want to help me and Mm. would give them something as well. And, yeah, and also seeing, you know, especially with postpartum and and the village, it's not a direct give and take, like Mm. I give to you and you're going to give back to me, but it's a circle and we're going to give to somebody and then they're going to give to somebody else and they're Mm. going to give to somebody else and and that way we can receive without feeling like we owe something in return. For sure. Mm. That's a really really, um, great point and philosophy around, you know, paying it forward and, yeah, the support, the village and support that we can give each other as a community. And 
I remember receiving that from you in my early postpartum. I hardly, I, well, I'd met you once, even though you couldn't remember. <laughs> but um, you were over the moon to come and support me because I had my baby about four months after you had had yours, and I just was blown away by the unconditional support and love that you had given me and my partner and my baby through food and treats and yeah that in-person connection as well and support. I think we focus a lot on the giver and encouraging people to give Mm. and offer help and how they can support and for me that wasn't it because I was already really good at giving Mm. but I just wasn't good at receiving and yeah the journey was about receiving and um, not feeling like I owed something directly in return. Mm. I think what is one of the biggest things in all of this is setting boundaries and having that integrity within ourselves to set the boundaries and to ask for the help and then receive unconditionally. Thank you for sharing (laughs) all of those really vulnerable and yeah, even traumatic times and experiences you've had. Mm, thank you, and I'd love to, I know this is, yeah, an area you're really passionate about and, yeah, hopefully we'll get another chance to talk about this on your own forum and, yeah, delve a bit more deeply into a little bit more about postpartum. I'm just, yeah, after having experienced it, and mm. for you as well, I know you're so passionate about it. Yeah. And I feel like I could just talk forever. <laughs> I know. I just did. <laughs> Yeah, I did want to ask, like, was there anything else you wanted to share um, before we finish up? Um, yeah, but maybe about your adjustment to parenting. Um, we did touch on a few of these things, but um, learning to breastfeed. Yeah, um, breastfeeding in itself was another journey. And, yeah, I'll just talk about it because, yeah, it was pretty big and I feel like that gets skipped over quite a lot. Yeah. Um, with just yeah she was a really good feeder and I produced enough milk and we're great now but Mm -hmm. um there's actually that whole period in between where you're learning how to do it and your body's learning supply and demand Mm -hmm. and fuck it's really hard it's fucking hard (laughs) 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 absolutely so yeah I might go into that a little bit about my breastfeeding journey I'll try and keep it um as succinct as I can, but sometimes it needs its whole episode. But, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're um, really good at that. Um, being <laughs> concise. <laughs> so I'll, I'll give you. Give yeah, let's see how we go. Um, yeah, so my midwives recommended or suggested that I, if I wanted to, I could start expressing colostrum prior to when she was born, just so that you know, on the very off chance that something was to happen, we would have. Um, some colostrum there ready to go instead of having to give her formula. So I think from – I was leaking milk from about 28 weeks and she started gently expressing straight away and I didn't know what was normal amount to be (laughs) collecting during pregnancy. And so, yeah, maybe a couple of months went on and then I had another appointment with my midwives and they asked whether I'd been – collecting any colostrum and I was saying oh yeah I'm getting like you know 10 to 20 mils each time 
or something just hand expressing colostrum and they were quite shocked because I think normally you store it in like one mil syringes. Thank God. <laughs> I, I, had, I was alright at getting it out but it was maybe like two mil or something or five mil, I can't remember. Yeah, there was a lot. I had a lot of colostrum from really, really early on and um, I think actually the expressing, you know, it actually, I think it builds up. I, yeah, it built up a supply during pregnancy before mm. I'd even had her because it was increasing and I sort of stopped doing it because it was just getting, like, there was a lot. Mm. And, yeah, until... Were you leaking a lot as well or was it just... Yeah, I was. Expected? Yeah, I was wearing breast pads and was leaking. Mm. If, you know, like, not crazy, not like, you know, most part of milk coming in. leaking. Yeah, but a bit. Yeah, and then my milk came in, I think, the day after she was born the next day or the, or the next night or something like that. And, God, that was a shock. I woke up and I felt, um, yeah, I felt feverish and mm. oh, it's just so hot and swollen. They were just absolutely rock hard. And for the first few nights and days, I was just expressing colostrum in between every feed because I was just rock hard the entire time. And I just didn't know what was a normal amount of milk or not and, after a few days, I sent a photo to my midwives of the colostrum that I'd expressed overnight in between her feeds. So she was feeding three hourly on the dot night and day, and I was expressing in between that just to give comfort and to try and ease the engorgement. And, yeah, I sent a photo, and I saw it again recently, and it was a full, tall glass, like a G&T tall glass of colostrum. Just like it looked like orange juice. Not a a pint, but like maybe like 500 mils or something. I think that's a pint. No, no, sorry. Whatever the next one is, like 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 a pot. Uh, Like a beer pot in Victoria. (laughs) Still a pot. Oh, my God. We're clearly pub goers. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it was. A schooner. No, not a schooner. Smaller than a schooner. We're in Victoria here, mate. Um, so like a pot size of yeah. colostrum in one night. And, yeah, it looks like orange juice. I'll try and um, sort of find a photo of some of it if I can. But, yeah, it was so intense and I didn't know that that wasn't normal. And, mm. um, yeah, they were pretty shocked shocked by that, um, just hand expressing. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't draining the breast. It was just to get it to be soft enough mm. to not be uncomfortable sleeping. To relieve yeah. yourself a bit. Yeah, and that went on to just be oversupply for the first basically five months, um, absolute oversupply. And she, Alice, my daughter, really struggled with digesting. Mm. Had a really fast, powerful letdown. She couldn't <laughs> stay on the breast during the letdown, um, which I think you've experienced as well. But So I was having to, every feed for five months, I would have to take firstly express before every feed. Um, she was block feeding, so she, so instead of yeah, very quickly we moved on to block feeding. So she'd go four or five hours on each breast, um, and then move over to the other one just so that she would get um, a bit, you know, drain each breast a bit more and get more of the hind milk. And then yeah, it just went on for ages like that, and pulling her off during the letdown and expressing. And I would be use and I used one of the like the silicon hucker pumps and. I would be able to, just with the silicon hucker pump, I'd get over 100 mils off one breast during a feed. 
So that was in addition to what she was drinking. And when I look back, you know, now I'm still breastfeeding now. She's 13 months and, you know, I can express maybe 20 mils at a time or something. And, yeah, to look back and remember having to stop halfway through a fit, halfway through an empty the hucker and then refill it again from the same breast that she was feeding off. I mean, it's just crazy. And I, think I had a bit of an oversupply, but not like that. Yeah, and I think I knew that it could happen and that there'd be engorgement and everything at the start, but I wasn't prepared for it to go on mm-hmm. for as long as it did. And Yeah, it was around five months when it finally started to ease off and probably not until she was about 10 months old until um, I wouldn't, you know, be having a letdown from both sides at once. And, um, I, you know, I still have to press on my nipple to stop myself from having a letdown on the other side, but only briefly. And wow. Yeah, always had... Yeah, and it was hard because she struggled to digest it and she'd get really windy and mm. burpy and uncomfortable and... It causes lots yeah. of problems. Yeah. And, yeah, just going on with the breastfeeding, I'll finish up soon, but I just wanted to touch on I've had um, blocked ducts a couple of times and mastitis a couple of times as well. And, um, yeah, I guess I've had an interesting journey with that because with my care providers and my own kind of lifestyle, I do try and keep things as natural as possible. And the first couple of times when I got blocked ducts and started to get mastitis, I was able to stave it off with herbs and you know, expressing and lots of natural techniques and homeopathics, um, which was amazing. And I, yeah, definitely, if there's anyone who wants to know more about more about that and what products I used and everything, please get in touch. But I did have one bout of mastitis where it came on really fast um, in the nighttime and I was doing all of the same things I'd done normally, all the same herbs, tinctures, um, and massaging, feeding constantly, expressing constantly. And, yeah, it just hit me really hard. And, yeah, again, nobody was home and I had Alice with me and I was feeling really sick. I was starting to get feverish and I knew that there was an infection coming. And I tried to drive to my mum's house and she lives about – she at that time it was about 40-minute drive away and I thought I could get in the car and drive to her house and she would be able to take care of me and – because um, mm-hmm. there was nobody at home. There was no one, you know, um, my partner couldn't or wouldn't come home from work to take care of me and there wasn't anyone else who could do it, so I thought I could drive to her house and I ended up so sick that I could hardly see the road and had to pull over and was throwing up just from the infection and um, came and got me. And, and that and that time I went to see a doctor who was just a doctor I'd literally never seen before and generally I've had really bad experiences with GPs but he was just amazing and really respectful of the way that I had treated it in the past and yeah but he said you know that's great and I'll support you to do that if you want but I think you're probably past that point now and Mm. um you know like you really you know antibiotics I I understand your reservations but I really feel like in this situation Mm. that's what's needed and I um yeah it's really happy with the way he handled it and comfortable with it and went straight ahead with the antibiotics and obviously, you know, made a really quick recovery and Mm -hmm. everything. And I think, yeah, I think it's really good to mention having had both sides of that experience and I know people jump to antibiotics really quickly when they get a blocked duct or or mastitis and that's, yeah, I don't think that's always necessary Mm -hmm. and there's some really amazing techniques 
Um, yeah, which, yeah, as I said, I'm happy to mm. share more about if anyone's interested in, which was so effective for me on multiple occasions, but also mm. that, um, you know, when you, when you need it, you need it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is a whole lot of <laughs> amazing information and hearing your journey and it's been absolutely incredible having to sit with you to hear this whole story that you shared with us today. Mm, thank you so much <laughs> and thank you for coming and stepping into my shoes and interviewing. <laughs> mm. And yeah, also always lovely to have a chat with you. Yeah, oh, it was really fun. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> and the glasses are warm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.